Well, good morning, church. And uh, some of you may have come a little late. I am not Jonathan. I'm old, I'm bald, and I have eight grandchildren. So uh, Jonathan's away for this weekend, so he asked me to fill in. And I invite you to turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to continue our study in Ephesians 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Maybe you may not remember this, but uh, do you remember the first car you owned? Ah, yes. Oh, ours, I, re- I remember vividly the first car we owned. Diane and I just graduated from college. A week later, we got married. And about eight weeks later, we were heading to Dallas, Texas for seminary. And so uh, it's the only new car I've ever had. And our parents kind of chipped in as part of, a, I think, a wedding ceremony, get Lawrence out of town or whatever. <laughs> and uh, it was American Motors, 1971. Sky blue hornet. I mean, I, I looked it up just this week, and uh, I can't believe I bought that car. But, you know, I noticed something. When, when you come to a, uh, a new car or any car, there's a, in the glove compartment, there's a maintenance manual. Sometimes you can get it online as well. And I learned very early that if you want to uh, keep the car running, what's the major thing you need to do? You need to change your what? Oil. And so I learned that very quickly and began to change the oil for many years until we moved to the frozen tundra of Rochester and it uh, wasn't a good idea during winter. But if you want to keep your car, you need to maintain it. And you maintain it primarily and other things too by changing the oil. Well, we're going to see this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, God's maintenance manual for the unity of the church. And it's so important. God's maintenance manual for the unity of the church. And by the way, if maybe you're new to the body of Christ, but I can tell you over the years, you know, family life in the body can be messy, can't it? Amen. I mean, we're, we're uh, sort of a sinner. We are sinners saved by grace, but we still sin, and, and uh, so it can be messy. Some of you might have heard of this little statement. It's, it's, it's curious. I love it. But it, it kind of explains the messiness that we have sometimes in the body of Christ because we're still sinners. We have different personalities. Uh, you know, frankly, we can irritate one another. Do I have an amen to that? Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I've only been here a year. I might have irritated all of you. I don't know that. But here's the, here's the jingle. It's not a statement. To dwell above with saints we love, well, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. <laughs> now, some of you are nodding your head. Yeah, I've been there. I mean, family life can be messy. So what Paul is going to show us, and we're going to look, cover verses 1 to 16 of chapter 4. It's a big text. And, and Lord willing, I want to share with you four truths that will help us Keep this unity, maintain this unity. It's a maintenance manual. And then I want to close with two takeaways. And part of those takeaways of my own experience over the years of being in ministry and being in different churches that will be helpful for us here at Schindler as we apply this truth. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1 through 6. 4, 1 through 6. And we'll cover the rest of it later. But stand with me as we read God's word. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of, our, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is God's word. You may be seated as I pray. Lord, by your grace this morning, may we not only hear your word this morning, but may we also do your word. And Lord, I ask you, help us to leave here rejoicing in the unity that we have, that, Lord, you died for, but also help us to leave relentlessly passionate about keeping this unity for your glory and for the kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Four truths that we need to embrace this morning. And the first one is in verse 1, and here's the truth. Our passion to preserve blood-bought unity springs from our calling. You see this in the text, verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now that calling, Jonathan covered very well in the first three chapters. And I remind you again, and Jonathan's mentioned this as well, that you can divide Ephesians into two sections, one to three, four to six. One to three, Paul declares the gospel realities, the gospel blessings that we have. And verses four, uh, chapters four to six, then he moves into the gospel culture that these gospel blessings produce. Well, let me put it another way. Sometimes Paul's not going to suggest to us, even in this unity, that we need to uh, live up to it. No, we need to live out of the gospel and, and live this unity. And what, is, what, are, what is this calling? Well, just review it. And by the way, I've got to encourage you, congregation. This is just free, free advice. I, I, I've memorized, and you can read, just, just read Ephesians 1 once a week. Be saturated with the glories of the gospel. But here's, here, here's what Paul wrote, and this will come back to you. You've been through this series. He starts, our calling. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been redeemed by his blood. We've been forgiven of all our trespasses. We have an inheritance waiting for us. We were once dead, but now we're alive. We were once objects of his wrath, now we're objects of his love. We are his workmanship created for good works. We have access to this power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that we have to transform us. And as we saw and Jonathan so expertly detailed for us in, in his sermon, as we are as Gentiles here who were separated from, from the blessings of God, from the covenants. Jesus Christ died and brought us near, and now Jew and Gentile are one in Jesus Christ. I have... Uh, I could, I'll never forget... Uh, my junior year in high school, I was placed in a college prep math class, and I have no idea why. 
I mean, it was brutal. It was difficult. In fact, uh, I, I, I often thought maybe the uh, faculty had some conspiracy against me, wanted just, just to uh, have me suffer. And uh, I just, I tanked. I mean, just, I still don't know why I was in it. But here, here's something I didn't learn. You'll be impressed with this. One plus one equals two. Huh? That's about all I got out of the class. <laughs> but, but, but there's a new math in the, in the body of Christ. One plus one equals what? One. We're one. Or I look at this congregation and, and this body, and we're all different. We have different appearance. We have different ages with different personalities. We think different. We dress different. You all talk different. <laughs> but here's the glory of the gospel. All these ones, we are one in Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what Paul is saying. Now, now I want you to walk worthy of that calling. That we're one in Christ. Well, let's be honest this morning, and, and uh, I've ministered in a number of different churches over the years and been a member of churches, and it could be messy. What kind of culture, then, Paul, do we need to have? What kind of gospel culture do we need to have so that we promote and strengthen our unity that we already have in Christ? See, we don't create the unity, it's already been bought by the blood of Christ. In fact, I'm going to use this term throughout the rest of the sermon. It's a blood-bought unity. He paid the price for us. So what does this culture look like? How are we supposed to live? Well, the second truth in this passage, our blood-bought unity will hold if we love one another. Now that, from some of us, well, that's, that's obvious, Lawrence. I mean, of course. But in verses 2 and 3, Paul details what that looks like, the culture that we need to have so that we, this unity that has been given in us in Christ, that we are one, it holds together. Verse 2, we need to have this in our gospel culture with one another, humility. Amen. In the... Uh, King James and some of the older versions, they, 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 they substitute the word lowliness. And that's not a bad word, by the way. Lowliness means we get lower than the other person. We see the other person more important than ourselves. And, and we're more concerned about them than we are ourselves. And that's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. And, and Paul says, you know, that's what we need if we're going to hold unity together. Brothers and sisters, uh, the opposite of humility is pride. And, and you know, pride will, will separate us. Because I'm going to think, hey, it's all about me. It's all about my needs. What about I want? If that's not the gospel, and that's not the gospel culture we need, by, by the grace of God, we need to think more that others are more important than ourselves. And so rather than demeaning another person or separating ourselves and getting upset with someone, we, we love them because we have this humility, this lowliness. Gentleness is another culture that Paul wants us to have if we're going to hold on to this unity. It's the opposite of uh, self-assertion. It's, uh, it's an interesting word in, in, in the original. It's, uh, it's, it can be translated strength under control. 
In other words, in a context of relationship, there may be some differences. And, 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 and by the way, you know, stay together, be in the family of God long enough. Someone's going to aggravate us. Someone's going to irritate us. Something's going to happen. And, and, and we want to lash back. And No, we need that gentleness. Right, right. Uh, Paul Trist, one of my favorite authors, and uh, he talks about the opposite of gentleness is this. Imagine next door you have a house that's in disrepair and someone buys it and you're expecting the person who owns it to come in and restore it, but they come in with a wrecking ball. Just level it. And he said, you know, we don't have gentleness. That's what happens, harshness. We come as a wrecking ball in relationships. And, and Paul's saying, listen, this culture is, is we are gentle toward one another, not harsh, not a wrecking ball. Patience. It's another word that uh, the King James Version, some of the older versions, uh, long-suffering. I like that. Long-suffering means we... Long-suffering toward aggravating people. <laughs> people might irritate us. People might say something to us. and What, what? And all of a sudden, the fissure of division starts to happen because we're not patient. Uh... They used to have a button so many years ago that uh, it had some truth to it. You know, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. Yeah. And what if we both came to that? And that doesn't mean excuse sin in that, but, you know, we, we have patience with one another and we don't have these expectations. Everyone's going to be perfect. Listen, we're now members of Schindler Drive Baptist Church and I can guarantee you, if you're a visitor here, we ain't perfect. In fact, when I joined it, it became imperfect. <laughs> and that's why we need this gospel culture together as we, we're family and, and we're patient toward one another and then bearing with one another in love. Amen. We're making allowances for each other because we love each other, accepting one another. And again, Paul's not only suggesting that if there's sin that we see repeated in someone's life or something, we don't share that love and, and confront them and but we need to have what I would call thick skin. Sometimes our skin is sort of thin and someone says something or maybe watch by, doesn't say hi or whatever. And we go, oh, I can't believe that. That's not gospel culture. We make allowances. We give space. If I could use just a, a, a one word, we chill. Larry was in our congregation for years in Rochester. And I'm convinced he was a brother in Christ, but he was different. He had emotional issues and he was a single guy and and he he was very needy. Very needy person. I call that a VNP person, very needy person. And he, he started attending our church and he would come and and uh after a while uh he's at the end of our service, we would have different folks up here that the leaders, including myself, that anyone wanted to come up for prayer, anyone wanted to come up and talk to me or whatever, we would be there. And then all of a sudden, Larry got in his mind that, you know, hey, every time the last song, he would, like a bullet shot out, come right at me and say, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor! And often it was about the best time. 
I mean, maybe some people talking to me, asking about the sermon. You know, maybe someone crying, asking for prayer or whatever. And here comes Larry. What's the reason? Pastor, pastor, pastor! And, and, he, and he really couldn't help it. I mean, he was he kind of wired that way. And he, he also often would come up with the same kind of, you know, questions and that. And, and finally, I talked to some of my fellow elders. And I said, listen, guys, could one of you just intercept him all the way up? You know, because you really need, he, he comes in, he's like, and just destroys everything, and then he did. And but then I began to search my heart, and I, because he's a brother, he was a brother in Christ. He had struggles, but I always wasn't treating him as one. I really wasn't honoring him. I mean, I, I frankly, I tried to avoid him, and and I, as I began to pray about this, and the Lord began to convict me and and say, yeah, he's a brother in Christ. You're one. He's one in Christ with you. Yeah, maybe you need maybe someone to hit him off the pass and not just bump into these kind of things, but you need to love him. And I got convicted, and I said, Lord, how am I supposed to love him? And he said, okay, here's, here's how you can love him. When he comes, he would come early in the church. I'd open the doors. He'd be there early because he, he rode a bus up and downtown. And he'd kind of search me out and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to search him out first and honor him. Ooh. Was he irritating at times? Yeah. He's a brother in Christ. We bear with one another in love. And, and it's like the Lord had a sort of a sense of humor because, you know, one of our, we had church service, we had a luncheon afterwards, and Larry hung around other people, and I was the last one out. Diane and the girls already gone home, and here's Larry. He comes, Pastor, 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 I missed the bus. Can you take me home? Oh. And I, you know, usually after preaching, you know, I just crash, and with the Lord, you know, and by the way, isn't it great the Lord allows different people in here to sanctify us? <laughs> because, you know, you know, I can say, oh, I've got patience until, you know, someone tests my patience. So, oh, I can bear with one another in love until someone is unbearable. This is the culture that he called us to, brothers and sisters, eager to maintain the unity in the bond of peace. Eager. Not, oh, let's do it. Eager. Hey, brothers and sisters, we love Schindler. And I'm just speaking from past experiences. We must never let our guard down and think this unity will maintain itself. Because Satan wants to do whatever he can to destroy it. That's why we need this culture. Trust me. I've been called to churches in my semi-retirement years to fill the pulpit and help churches heal after it blasted apart. And I imagine that any of us, if we put our hands up, a lot of us would say, I know of churches. Some of us maybe are here because we've experienced that in our lives in a church. Eager to maintain the, the unity. This is a culture that he has for us. Third, Third truth, our blood-bought unity is rooted in the ones. Did you see that in verses five, 4, 5, and 6? Seven ones. What well, Paul is saying here, yes, we have this relational commitment, this culture, because we're, we're going to offend one another, we're going to irritate one another, we're going to maybe sin against one another, so we need that, that culture of grace, whereas... Uh, one author said, we need tenacious grace and Calvary love in our relationships. But 
we also need to be rooted in the truth. We are one body here this morning. If you're in Christ, we are one body. It may not look like it, but I have one body. It's attached. Everything's together so far. (laughs) And that's what the body of Christ is. Organically, we're into one body. And by the way, that body is bigger than Schindler. That body is bigger than Journey Christian Church in Rochester. That body is bigger than the Southern Baptist. That body is big. And God's, we've got a whole body, but in the local expression, we are together in the body of Christ. We have one spirit. Paul talked about that earlier. The spirit, in fact, is in us to guarantee a seal for our future inheritance. The very presence of the third member of the Trinity who makes real the presence and power of Jesus Christ is in each one of us. We have one hope. We have a shared destiny, brothers and sisters. It's a glorious hope, isn't it? And we could spend just you know, 10 minutes just detailing that, but we have a glorious future, secure in Christ, and we have that one hope. We have one Lord. And that day, you know, Caesar is Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and brothers and sisters, there's no other Lord that we have. We together have one Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. Right. We bow before him. He's the head of this church. He's the head of the body. We have one faith. One gospel that saves. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We have one baptism. We had a baptism. It was glorious this morning. But, and, and we're Baptists. At least I am. And we all are. But I think what Paul's talking about here is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And when you and I came to faith in Christ, we automatically became members of the body of Christ by the Spirit. And we have one God and Father of us all. It's amazing, isn't it? In this room, if you've trusted in Christ, your Father is my Father. My Father is your Father. He's our Father. And He's in all and through all and over all. There's much more to be said here, but I want to talk about the fourth principle, truth. Maybe I'd illustrate it this way. I'm a a Buffalo Bills fan. How many are Buffalo Bills fans out here? (laughs) Well, we got division already, I see. My own family didn't raise their hands, so... Uh, and I'm a member of the Bills Mafia, okay? <laughs> I proudly wear that sign. Now, some of you don't know that. You think, what is, he, un, what is this, some kind of gang or something? But, <laughs> but one thing I learned about when uh, we were lose, losing, we, remember we were in four Super Bowls, and that was a disaster. And then you know, we had a losing season after losing season, sort of like the Jaguars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, statement here. I love the Jaguars. It's my second team. So, okay. Just don't, don't come up here and attack me. But here, here's what happens. The ownership died. It passed away. Ralph Wilson, they 
the Pagolas came in, took over the team, and then they hired Brandon Bean as channel manager and, and Sean McDermott as coach, head coach, and the culture changed. They call it the winning culture. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. I, I would watch some of the interviews of some of the players after they won or something like that, Bon Miller, Josh Allen, and they would say the same thing, and so would some of the other players. Hey, we couldn't do it without the cafeteria workers. Hey, we couldn't do it without the, uh, the custodians to keep the place clean. We couldn't do it without the equipment manager. And what they were saying is, we're all in this together with the same purpose to accomplish, and we're a team. And this is exactly what Paul is going to say, because he's going to say to us, in this body of Christ, we've all been gifted with different gifts, but they all work together for a common purpose more glorious than winning the Super Bowl. Amen. Let me unpack it for you, and I'm going to be, this is going to be a 10,000-foot level because there's no, absolutely no way that I can deal with some of the interpretational issues in that because we want to cover this section, but follow along with me. Verse 7. He says, but grace, now he's talking about the ones, all that we have in common, and he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, that is Christ, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying this, he ascended, and what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, we could spend 20 minutes just dissecting a bunch of interpretational issues. And if you have a study Bible and you read it, go and do that. But let me give you what I think the gist is. Christ, our victorious Savior, ascended and, and he took captives, and we could argue what those captives are, but what he did, he gave every member of the body of Christ gifts to be used. And those gifts are detailed. Some of those gifts are detailed in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Romans, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. And I, personal perspective on this, I think there's more gifts than that. But if you're a member of the body of Christ, you're in the body of Christ, you have a gift. Right. And so Paul's saying, oh, okay, I'm going to admit this diversity of these gifts, but I want to tell you, these gifts are used to bring maturity to the body of Christ. In fact, you mentioned some men who have special gifts, the gift of pastor-teacher. And I praise God for Jonathan. Amen. And his work, I mean, uh, and I've said this, you know, it's hardly a Sunday. I don't go out with Jesus being bigger, the gospel being bigger, and feeling equipped for ministry because he's been gifted by the grace of God and equips us who have other gifts to use those gifts so that we grow up into Christ. And that's actually uh, detailed in the rest of the of passage. Look back down. I'm skipping here because of the time. But notice the goal of this diversity of gifts. Verse 13. Until we all attain, that is, we're equipped for the work of the ministry. That's us. Every member of ministry, minister. We attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by, by, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I put in there that no one will move us away from the ones of the gospel. Okay, that's, that's the underpinning of this unity. 
but rather we speak the truth in love to one another and we are to grow up in every way into him that is Christ the head and from the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly that is we're using our gifts and we have this goal makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love essentially brothers and sisters you and I we have diversity of gifts special abilities that God gives us to minister to the body of Christ, but they are not designed to separate us. When we work together, and it builds us up in love, and when we're built up in love and maturity, we become more united. Amen. So the fourth principle, and again, we unpack this more, but the diversity of the gifts that Christ has given among us doesn't weaken our unity. It should. It strengthens our unity. Right. Because we're working together. It's a blood-bought unity, folks. And if you can go anywhere in the planet, you won't find that anywhere else. You won't find it in a fraternity. You won't find it in an organization. You won't even find it in a team. It's in the church of Jesus Christ. And he bought it with price. There's much more to be said in in that passage, and I encourage you to read it. If you've got a study Bible, dig into it. But let me give two takeaways as we close. Number one, and it's pretty obvious from the text, that if we're believers and this is our body, then we must give it a priority to preserve and strengthen the blood-bought unity that Jesus Christ has given us. We must work at it to maintain it. How do we do that? Well, we always seen from the text that we ought to be committed and motivated to live out our gospel calling with tenacious grace toward one another and Calvary love so that we're able to bear with one another. We're able to be patient and gentle. And humble. From the text, obviously, we need to stay rooted in, the, in the, the ones that unite us, those seven ones, glorious truths. Number three, the gifts of the grace that God has given us, we need to exercise them so we build up one another in the body of Christ and therefore become even more unified. By the way, uh, this is a sidebar here because spiritual gifts are a big issue, but I remember someone telling me, we used to have spiritual gifts class. You know, what is your spiritual gift in that? I had someone tell me, hey, Pastor, you ever think about, why don't we just go out and start doing it and see what we like, and that's probably our gift. <laughs> well, it's pretty good. And for my brothers and sisters, if you're here and you're, you're 10, you're a member, you know, get off the, onto the playing field. Use your gifts. Build us up. I need you. You need me. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. And then, this is a, not in the text, but <clears throat> this is from personal experience. I've been in a number of churches and been called to churches to try to bring healing. Do you know what the, the biggest sin in is in a church that can divide a church? Not guarding our tongue. Gossip, slander. And by the way, I, we're still newbies here. I'm not, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I'm just saying, I, I know this. Gossip is sharing information to someone else who's not part of the problem or part of the solution. Slander is, is sort of being negative and, and critical. And, uh, and, and some of this comes out, I just wrote this down because I've heard this, and frankly, I've been guilty of it myself. 
Where we say to someone, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I am concerned about... Or, did you hear? It's usually negative, right? You know, I have a problem with... Or, I think they should do this. Sometimes I release the church leadership. I've heard that. Or, or here's a more sanctified way of... of uh, of gossip. Hey, 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 would you pray for so and so because he or she? And we never had permission. But I, I can tell you the churches I've been in and the churches I've been a part of, gossip and slander is used of Satan to divide a church. Trust me. And brothers and sisters, we do not want to be guilty of of breaking down the unity that Christ bought by this. In fact, in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 16 and 19, Solomon writes, there's six things things that the Lord hates. In fact, he says, they're abomination to him. And you know what the last one is? One who sows discord among the brothers. My brothers and sisters, we, and I include myself in this, we need to guard our tongues. Jesus died for this unity. We're to maintain it. We're not to destroy it. Maybe some of you say, hey, you know, I know people, but I've said to people, listen, you know, we're just as guilty listening to it as speaking it. And so someone comes to me, hey, did you hear about it? Whoa, wait a minute. You know, I don't want to hear it. Well, I've got, have you gone to that person? You know? And all of a sudden, these fissures start taking place, and the family of God becomes even more messy. So let's promote and be passionate about unity, and let's get rid of those two sins so that we be united. Lastly, let's pray for unity. You have that on your list? Well, Jesus did. He not only died for the unity, he prayed for it. In John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, this is what Jesus prayed to his Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, that's his disciples, but also for those who believe in me through the word, and that's us today, Schindler Drive. So that, and he goes on, he says, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that also they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Catch that? The high stakes. Our unity is a picture of the world that they, the others would believe that you have sent me, that I'm the Savior. That Jesus said, by how are men going to know that you're my followers, my disciples, if you have what? Love for one another. So unity is a high-stakes issue, not just for the peace that we want to have in, in the body of Christ. And, and, and think about the world looking out, looking into the church today, some of the churches, and say, who wants to join that? But by the grace and power of God, as we develop this gospel culture, and as we root ourselves in the ones, and we pray for this unity, that God will do and deepen it, strengthen it, firm it up, and all glory to Christ. The song that uh, 
just saying I should grow, growing up bind us together love bind us together with bonds that cannot be broken there is only one God there is only one king there is only one body that's why we sing I thank God we should thank God for the unity that we have brothers and sisters we must be vigilant to maintaining it and strengthening it not only for our own welfare together but for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the gospel that all flows out of here's what we have in Christ the gospel realities the gospel culture of unity let's pray